0: Good morning, Faith Church. My name is Adam Escobedo, and I have the privilege of reading scripture this morning. Uh, This morning's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It can be found on page 909 in the Black Chair Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing, governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Then the angels had left them and returned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. Merry Christmas. Christmas is, uh, in some ways, a time of strange contrasts. Uh, It is uh, the darkest time of the year, longest days of, uh, longest nights of the year, shortest days, and yet it's the time when we light up the night with uh, Christmas lights on our streets. Uh, It's the happiest time of family and friends celebration, but it's also sometimes the saddest time of missing those who are not with us anymore. It's a time to remember the value of one another by giving gifts to one another and spending extra time with family, Uh, unless, of course, your job is to sell or deliver those uh, gifts, in which case it's uh, the most busy time and uh, least time with family for you. It's a time of the idyllic white Christmas with an Arctic blast that comes along with it. The birth of Jesus itself is also a strange contrast. It's very strange that the creator of the universe was born as a baby. Our main point from our passage this morning for the sermon is this: "Come." Glorify Jesus, lowly in birth, glorious in identity. Come glorify Jesus, lowly in birth, glorious in identity. First, we'll look at verses 1 through 7, and we'll see how Jesus was lowly in birth. Lowly birth, verses 1 through 7. We have in these passages, interestingly enough, three kings mentioned. The first king is Caesar Augustus. Verse 1, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. So a census was a way for Rome to be able to count its subjects, count them for the sake of military conscription, or count them for the sake of taxation. So in this case, Joseph had to travel 70 miles from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to be counted, in order to pay his taxes. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, but I don't exactly get warm fuzzies when I pay my taxes, uh, much less having to travel 70 miles with a very pregnant Uh, wife, that would be, or fiance, that would be very uh, unappreciated. Uh, The situation that the Jews found themselves in under the reign of uh, Caesar Augustus was not a good one. They had been a conquered people for quite a while, and Caesar Augustus, uh, as the history tells us, so as I understand, was the first Roman emperor to actually declare himself God. God. There's an inscription, this is interesting, there's an inscription that was found around this time about Caesar Augustus, describing him as a God whose, this is the quote, birthday signaled the beginning of good news for the world. So what do you think? Did Caesar Augustus' birthday signal the beginning of good news for the world? You know, it can, it can be this question, Right? Does governmental power, earthly power, worldly power thwart the plans of God? Thwart the power of God? Is this the only good news in town, the Caesar Augustus good news? Well, no. The good news of Caesar Augustus is, in fact, dead in the ground. His body is who knows where? It's probably a McDonald's or an office building built on top of it. And yet, uh, God's plans and God's good news remains, it is actually using uh, Caesar Augustus's uh, uh, census as part of God's good plan to redeem his people. So that's our first king. Our first king is uh, Caesar Augustus in this passage, and our second king is Joseph. Look at verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So If you're an Israelite at this time, you think back to your glory days as a nation, as a thousand years before this. So a thousand years before this, and about a thousand AD is around the time of King David and his son King Solomon, and that was when Israel was actually a world power, which they had a king who was uh, had a heart that went after. God he wasn't perfect but he was a good king and when that good king was on the throne God made David a promise This is what God promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 He says when your time comes David and you rest with your fathers all right so sometime after you die I will raise up after your descent, raise up after you your descendant So he'll have some descendant who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So this promise hangs in the air over every descendant of David, such that you might expect everyone to approach Joseph and say, <gasps> You know, could he be the one? He's having a son. Could he be the one? Is this this the promised one who's going to be to God a son, who's going to establish a a throne and a reign eternally? And yet, after a thousand years of disappointments, of generation after generation uh, not being the promised Messiah, it seems that Joseph is all this potential, but it's, uh, he's unremarkable. He's normal. He's just a carpenter with a pregnant fiancé. So Joseph has all this potential, yet he is, uh, as a king in the story, it appears, unremarkable. And then we get to our third king in verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. When she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him, laid him in a manger because there was no room available for him. So Jesus is born, and he's different than Caesar Augustus. He's different than Joseph. And I think what Luke is particularly wanting us to, to, to note in this very straightforward description of his birth is just how lowly his birth was. His birth was not grand. It was lowly. Think about all the different markers of lowliness here. For one thing, he was born under oppression, right? He wasn't born in the time when Israel was the global power. He was born in the time when Israel was just a small, one of many conquered nations by these different global superpowers. He wasn't like he was born as Solomon to King David. He was born unfamous. He was born middle class. He was born under shame, right? You've got Joseph traveling with his pregnant fiance. That shame uh, went with Jesus the rest of his life. It was thrown at him as an insult when people didn't know how to respond to him later. He was born into a manger. Mary and Joseph find themselves uh, in not the best circumstance, not the the, the prepared uh, nursery room with the nice crib. Instead, they end up having to put baby Jesus in the place where that's for feeding animals. And Jesus was born with only shepherds to celebrate, as we're about to see, right? Shepherds who were uh, the, the, the low-class job of, of the time. So Jesus is lowly. He's poor. He's unexpected to become someone important. But there's more to it than that. See, the particulars of Jesus's birth, they actually pale in comparison to the shock of the fact of his birth in the first place. So even if Jesus was born in a palace and it was this grand thing, it would still be shocking because this is Jesus, the son of God, being born. You know, I think we, we all love a good rags to riches story, right? Somebody who's born in really lowly circumstances and then becomes great, becomes super wealthy, or becomes a king, right? That's, that's a good story. And sometimes we might misunderstand this story to be that. This isn't that. This is very different than that. This isn't a rags-to-riches story. And, and if, if, if that's what you thought of this as, as a rags-to-riches story, he's born so low, but he ends up so high, then I'm kind of excited because there's so much more beauty and wonder to this story than a rags to riches kind of thing. See, it's not that Jesus was born lowly and then just became somebody great. It's that he was great and then he was born. (laughs) It's not that this baby became a great king. It's that he was the king of the universe and then he became a baby. We're wrestling with, we're kind of turning the diamond and looking at the wonder of the incarnation. That Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, equal in dignity to the Father and the Spirit. He's fully God. He has always existed with the Father and the Spirit. He has always been one in essence with the Father and the Spirit. The Son was with God at the creation of the world. He was with God before. the creation of the world. He was there when Adam and Eve sinned. He was there through the Old Testament as God interacts with humanity. He was there for all of the promises of the coming Redeemer through the Old Testament leading up to this moment when God is there laying in a manger. What's happening here is that Jesus adds humanity to his deity. He puts on human flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. Carn- carnal, carnation, carnal is like that flesh word. It's putting on humanity. So he became permanently human, even while remaining eternally God. And this was not just a one-time thing just for the, his, his physical lifetime, right? He remains a human this moment in his resurrected body. He went before us in his resurrection, and he is still leading the way for us in what our future resurrection is going to be like as well. He remains fully man and fully God. This was the price of our redemption. This was the price that he was willing to pay for us to have peace with him. Paul glories in this in one of his letters in in, in Philippians chapter two. He says this. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had become as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. So two things to take from this passage. First, if Jesus can humble himself in this way, we ought to take the same attitude, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus and be humble to one another. Approach one another with a heart ready to serve. So, is there an act of service that feels beneath you, not worth your time? Is there someone in the church who you think is not worth your effort to care for and love? Do you have a Christ like attitude of humble, self sacrificial love in your home? May it be so more and more. May we be growing as a a church community, as a people in our Christ-likeness. A second thing to pull from this this fact of Jesus' glorious birth that comes down lowly is that we should not be lulled to sleep by Jesus' lowly birth. In the Philippians passage, Paul continues this way. He says, for this reason, God highly exalted Jesus And gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Don't think because of Jesus' lowly birth that he is now powerless. Instead, understand this. One way or another, you and I and every human on the planet and every angel and every demon is going to bow their knee to this king, to King Jesus. This baby is king of the universe. He put on weakness when he came and incarnated in flesh. He put on this incredible Lowly weakness. And he will return in power. That's how he's going to return. He's going to return in power. So now we're getting into our our second point for the sermon, which is his glorious identity. Luke now turns to the shepherds and the angels, and we get to see a glimpse of who this baby actually is. So let's read verses eight and nine. He says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before him and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. All right, so you've got these nondescript local shepherds taking turns, staying awake, listening, seeing as best they can in the dark, uh, their sheep that nothing was attacking them. And then all of a sudden, They were woken woken up by a bright light and this solitary angel in the sky. God's glory appears to them. And their response at this point is the same response as it would be for you or I. Great fear. This light, this angel, this power is so clearly beyond and above them that they are greatly afraid. Yet, here's the word. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior is born to you who is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth lying in a manger. This angel comes to bring them good news of great joy, their great Fear gives way to this great joy. The angel has come in peace to announce a wonderful and glorious birth. And the sign that they give them, a sign of saying, okay, this is going to confirm the message that I'm going to give you, is that they'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, which is normal enough, but the weird thing is it's going to be lying in a manger. And that will be a sign to them, a confirming of this message that they have seen. And heard. But that's not all. The single angel gives way, and and you hear, suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. As if the majesty of God's actual glory shining, lighting up the sky was not enough. Of one angel speaking this amazing message of peace to humanity. If, As if that wasn't enough, a host of highest heaven shows up and fills the sky. The host word here is actually a military term. It's like an army of angels have shown up. And as if the, uh, if the, the shepherds weren't uh, greatly afraid before, which they were, <laughs> how must they be feeling now? We're supposed to feel this, right? This awe, oh my, an army of heaven is speaking in the sky and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. The army of heaven has come not to declare war, but to declare peace, glory to God, the bringer of peace. And this is all culminating to say, look to a manger, to this baby. All of that gloriousness of those angels and this great announcement, all of that is just loading into the glory of who Jesus is. It's just loading into him this amazing glory that we're supposed to feel towards Jesus. All those angels, Jesus made them. <laughs> he created them before the foundations of the earth. They exist by the word of his power. They come, those, that army of angels comes to Jesus to get their marching orders and then obeys those marching orders perfectly. They bow at Jesus's feet. So which is more powerful, an entire army of angels or a baby lying in a manger? It turns out that this army of angels has come to say, good news, humanity. Our creator and commander has become a man like you and been born to marry. He has become one of you to save you from your sins. We've been waiting for ages for this to unfold. And now, God's plan has arrived. Glory to God. It's an amazing announcement of a glorious king. And how do the shepherds respond? I'll bring us to the third point. The three kind of responses that we see in this passage in verses 15 to 20. So the, look, look for how the shepherds respond first. So when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, They reported the message that they had been told about the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and meditated on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds are absolutely overflowing with joy. They, here, the, we, we just sang about making haste to bring him laud, and that's exactly what the shepherds are doing. They're making haste. The, the, the phrases that are used, they say, let's go straight to Bethlehem, and then they hurried off, and then they reported the message widely, apparently, and then they returned glorifying and praising God for the things that they had seen and heard. Uh, consider this contrast. What if uh, I contrast the kind of running, the kind of urgency that caused by the coach, the mean coach saying, you're going to run, the last one who crosses the line is going to have push-ups, right? That kind of urging of haste. Imagine that compared to this. Imagine this kind of running. That is, this exciting news has come to these shepherds, and they are making haste to go see that it's true, to go tell of the joy that they have received. The encounter with Jesus has given them an abundance of joy that is overflowing to tell anyone who will listen. So church, let's be a people who are like these shepherds, captivated by Jesus, excited to go and tell. Out of the overflow of our joy, we urgently tell others of our source for this joy. Then in verse 20, we even see the shepherds, they they leave, they go back home glorifying and praising God for all that they have seen and heard. And what you see from this is that evangelism, telling others about Jesus, and praising God are not all that different. Or at least when your heart is warm to praise God, you're going to be quick to evangelize. And when you are telling others the good news of Jesus, you are praising God. They go together. The second response that we see is the crowd's response, or the people who the shepherds were telling, who heard about it and were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. All who heard it were amazed. Now, this is this is good, this is exciting, this is intriguing that they are listening and hearing and are amazed. But there's actually a warning as the way Luke writes it here, because he contrasts all who heard it were amazed, but Mary treasures this up in her heart. As we've noted in our uh, study of Mark through our, our sermon series uh, this fall, we've seen that the crowds as a character in the book of Mark are fickle, right? They are sometimes with Jesus. They are sometimes show signs of like wanting to listen, but ultimately they are turning against Jesus. And the same is true in Luke's uh, telling of the story of Jesus, where the crowds as a character, some, of course, of this amazement, some in the crowd will continue to become disciples of Jesus. But the crowd as a whole is not, the crowd as a whole will end up calling for Jesus's crucifixion. So here's a warning applied to us this morning. Being amazed at Jesus is not enough. Having positive feelings towards him is not sufficient. Uh, appreciating his teaching and his example is not enough. Jesus came as a savior. That's what the angel said. He say, he's come as a savior. And what did he come to save from? What did he come to save you from? The answer is that he came to save you from the wrath of God For Your sins. The eternally perfect Creator God, He deserves full obedience. Ever since the first human sinned, no one has obeyed God's rule. And so all of us deserve death and need to be saved from that punishment. Jesus became a man and first a baby in order to live the life that we should have lived live without sin, and die the death that we should have died. The punishment that we should have received, that he didn't deserve, but we deserve, that he took that punishment himself and then raised from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death over us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is salvation found in this child. The question for you is, will you repent and believe? Turn from choosing disobedience to God and turn towards Jesus. Receive the gift of peace with God today. The good news of Jesus is for all people. Not just Jews 2,000 years ago. All people. Is it good news for you today? Is God inviting you today to finally have peace with him Will you receive this gift? I pray you will. And finally, we can look at at Mary's response. See, Mary in verse 19, she, that Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. God has been really kind to Mary through this narrative. If you remember, as we've looked at Mary and, 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 and the telling of the story through the book of Luke, this Advent season, what we've seen is various markers where God has just been exceedingly kind to give her uh, confirmations and affirmations in her faithful response to what God has told her. Just think about this. God sent Mary to Elizabeth to see the similar miracle of of, of uh Life coming from a dead womb in Elizabeth, just so that Mary could have that encouragement in her faith from her her beloved cousin. God sent the shepherds in this passage to Mary to confirm, have this angelic uh, confirmation that Jesus is who God had the angels had told Mary who Jesus is. And then uh, in the next passage, what happens is a man named Simeon does a similar thing. He has this prophetic word over Jesus at his circumcision that is saying, this is the Messiah. And all of these things, Mary treasures up in her heart. She takes them as the gifts of of, uh, signs of good faith that they are, and she treasures them in her heart and takes encouragement from them. Mary is a great example of faithfulness to us. There are many years of Uh, trial to come for Mary. Think of their flight to Egypt and just come a short while. Think of Jesus's childhood, but then think of Jesus's earthly ministry and his crucifixion and resurrection. She has many trials ahead of her, but she meditates on these truths that have been revealed to her to have the faith that sustains her through those trials, treasuring, meditating, And so the same should be true of us as as Christians, right? God has been kind to us. He's been kind to you to give you encouragements in your faith. So you treasure and you meditate on Christ, on what he has done. And as trials come in your life, as you walk the path that Jesus walked, you hold on to your faith. You hold on to Jesus. You meditate and ponder him. May the Lord meet you as you treasure him. May the Lord meet you as you seek to meditate on the glory of his incarnation. The lowly savior has been born. He is more marvelous. He is greater than we will ever fully grasp. We're going to have an eternity to continue to turn this diamond and look at the beauty of what Jesus is doing. And he has become a man to bring us good news of great joy. There's a Christmas carol written by a guy named Frank Houghton about a hundred years ago. It goes like this. It says, thou who wast rich beyond All splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. Thrones for a manger didst surrender, sapphire-paved courts for stable floor. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, becamest poor. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake becamest man, stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenward by thine eternal plan. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake becamest man. Let's take a moment of silence to meditate on Jesus.